You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Church Midtown. In Ecclesiastes, we discover that a life spent in pursuit of pleasure, achievement, and control will ultimately leave us empty-handed. Life isn't about what we can obtain, but about what we already have, and learning to receive it from God with gratitude. Welcome to Ecclesiastes, life as gift, not gain. Ecclesiastes 7, 1 through 14. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. A good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, since that is the end of all mankind, and the living should take it to heart. Grief is better than laughter, for when a face is sad, a heart may be glad. The heart of the wise is in a house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in a house of pleasure. It is better to listen to rebuke from a wise person than to listen to the song of fools. For like the crackling of burning thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of the fool. This too is futile. Surely the practice of extortion turns a wise person into a fool, and a bribe corrupts the mind. The end of a matter is better than its beginning. A patient spirit is better than a proud spirit. Don't let your spirit rush to be angry, for anger abides in the heart of fools. Don't say, why were the former days better than these, since it is not wise to ask this. Wisdom is as good as an inheritance and an advantage to those who see the sun. Because wisdom is protection, as silver is protection. But the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of its owner. Consider the work of God, for who can straighten out what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful, but in the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other so that no one can discover anything that will come after him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you. Well, good morning, Sojourn. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. My joy to be able to to preach this confusing text to you this morning. Uh, Would you all pray with me? Lord Jesus, um, what a joy it is to gather with your people to sing uh, songs of praise to you and to hear your word. So Jesus, I, I pray that every word that uh, departs from my lips would be honoring to you, would be truthful, um, encouraging, challenging to your people. Um, Spirit, we ask for your help. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, when I first started uh, reading the Bible for the first time, freshman year of college, uh, I really enjoyed uh, Proverbs, but I really didn't know what to do with Ecclesiastes. Uh, this is why I think this uh, sermon series has been really helpful for me. Um, but, you know, as a freshman, Josh, in my, in my college dorm, I'm, I'm looking at Ecclesiastes, I'm thinking, what in the world is going on? I don't understand anything. But when I read Proverbs, it's very straightforward. It's like, do these things and your life will be great. Do these things and you'll be really wealthy. Do these things and you'll have lots of friends. And I think, okay, this is good. I can do this. This is going to be fine. And then life does not 
tend to go as simply as Proverbs uh, depicts it, right? Um, I think of Proverbs like a uh, teacher or a professor. You know, you come to school, you got your, your spiral notebook, your new number two pencils are nice and sharp. You sit down. Uh, professor Proverbs is like, hey, I'm going to teach you how to spell and you're just going to learn a couple simple rules and you can spell anything, any word in the dictionary you'll be able to spell. And so the lesson one principle you need to learn is I before E except after C. Half of you know how to spell. Awesome. And so you're like, okay, I got this. You're going to write it over and over. You're going to memorize it. You're going to you start to implement it. And then you meet one of your classmates and his name is Keith. And you're like, Keith. K-E-I-T-H, and you're like, Keith's name does not make any sense, but whatever, he's a nice guy. And then Keith, he starts to talk to you um, about what he did this past weekend, and he tells you how he leisurely deceived eight caffeinated neighbors with counterfeit weights. (laughs) And you're like, this sermon's getting off to a weird start. And I'm like, yes, weird, W-E-I-R-D. And so your head's spinning. You're just like, oh, what is life? Uh, I don't know how to spell. Back sinks against the wall. You kind of crumple to the floor. You're like, I don't know what's going on. And then the teacher that you originally were like, I don't know what to do with this guy. He's, he's old. He like tells me weird stuff. I don't know what to do. He walks in, and it's Mr. Feeney, which is a Boy Meets World <laughs> reference to uh, all you Gen Z out there. But he just looks at you with that knowing look, and he puts his arm around you, and he says, it's life. This is life. And what I love about Ecclesiastes is it gives a place in God's word when life feels like it's gone sideways. And it gives some upside down wisdom, whether you're in a season where you feel like life is going pretty well and Proverbs is like, yeah, I like Proverbs. It kind of describes my life. Or you're like, I don't know what's going on with my life. I love how God has a place in the grand narrative of his scriptures that anybody can find a wisdom and their place in. And so we come to Ecclesiastes 7 and we find some more upside down wisdom for when life goes sideways. Um, and you, you kind of read it and you're like, what is, what is going on here? Um, this is a live look into my sermon prep. You're like, I don't know what is going on. I don't, he's like all this random stuff. But as, as we're trying to be like Psalm 1 people, we're reading it, we're meditating, we're talking to people, we're, we're chewing on it in our minds. We realize that there seems to be this pattern that emerges. Often, uh, as you're reading this chapter, there's a, there's a X is better than Y formula. And if it's not explicitly stated, it's, it's implied. And in this equation, X are things that are hard and difficult and uncomfortable, and Y are things that are enjoyable and comfortable. So over and over, he says things that are hard are better than things that are easy or comfortable. Now, the, what I'm saying, and what he, I don't think what he's saying is not that comfort is bad. He's not saying comfort is bad. He's just saying that hard things are better than comfort. And again, this is, this is upside down wisdom. We, we don't really know what to do with it. But I think what he is trying to tell us is that the path to wisdom goes through suffering and pain. The path to wisdom goes through suffering and pain. Or to flip it up on its head, if we are constantly avoiding suffering, we're escaping from pain, 
we short circuit one of the main things that God uses to grow us up into become, becoming wise people. And so let's look at a couple categories. I think you could uh, categorize this in, in several different ways. But one of these ways that we escape from the discomfort that we're in is that we are delusional about our past. Look with me in verse 10, for example. It says, don't say, why were the former days better than these? Since it is not wise for you to ask this. You know, in my own life, when I, whenever I find myself reflecting and dwelling on yesterday, it's usually because I'm uncomfortable with today. And usually, yesterday is not as good as what I remember it to be. I don't know if you guys have ever played the game, uh, like, which era of history would you rather live in? And nobody ever says today, right? Um, everybody's like, oh, I want to see, like, King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. Or I want to experience the, the empire of Kush that was south of Egypt. Or I want to see, you know, the Chinese empire at the height or the Aztecs or whatever. And then you... you uh, you realize that none of these places had air conditioning and none of them had toilet paper. And my, my house, our AC went out um, for a couple weeks in June. So I know how to live life without AC. It's, no, it's the same as normal life, it's just miserable. I don't know how to live life without toilet paper. So I'm just gonna stay in 2021. Um, but, the past is never as good as we crack it up to be, and we usually are elevating it because we are so uncomfortable with our present. Another example, we're delusional about a past. We're also distracted from our present. Let's read in um, verse 4 through 6. He says, The heart of the wise is in a house of mourning, but the heart of the fool is in the house of pleasure. It's better to listen to rebuke from a wise person than to listen to the song of fools for like a crackling of burning thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of the fool. This too is futile. So when we have painful, hard things in our life, we find ourselves uh, moving to things that are funny or moving towards levity. It's like a, it's like a bar of soap. When, when life presses in, we shoot out and we go to the, the house filled with um, levity and, and, and joy. Third, we... We're in denial of our future. Verse 1 says, The day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. Verse 8, The end of the matter is better than its beginning. A patient spirit is better than a proud spirit. We read this and we're like, Really? Surely he's being hyperbolic. How is the day of death better than the day of birth? Death is coming for all of us. It's an uncomfortable truth. Four, I think he hits on materialism a couple in a couple different places. One, in verse one, he talks about how a good name is better than fine perfume. Again, a good name is built over a lifetime, and it's hard, and it's humbling, and it's difficult. Perfume covers over the stench and you can go out in the store and you can get it. And so in a sense, comparing these two, there's a life of difficulty and humility and character building that's hard. Or you can go out and you can get perfume or you can buy, buy things that cover up for the lack of character. I think there's also a form of escapism that he gets at here. It's uh, in verse 9, it says, Don't let your spirit rush to be angry, for anger abides in the heart of the fools. 
when things are uncomfortable and painful, some of us have a tendency to react with anger rather than sit in the discomfort of, of the present. And the last thing I just want to touch on, I, I think it's, it's fascinating. It says, surely, uh, verse 7, surely the practice of extortion turns a wise person into a fool and a bribe corrupts the mind. You know, like, it's not um, a mystery why people uh, take a bribe. It's because you get money and you can buy things that you like and do things that you want. It, it brings comfort. Um, but the interesting thing here is as the practice of extortion turns a wise person into a fool. And so it's very humbling because he's reflecting that wisdom does not make you above the siren call of comfort. We are all susceptible. And so what Solomon is telling us in here is that pain and suffering are better than comfort, but we're still asking why. Why is this true? The last two verses, verse 13, he says, consider the work of God for who can straighten out what he has made crooked. When we experience pain and suffering and life is hard, there's a sense in which we realize we can't do anything about it. This experience of thinking, I, I can't really change the discomfort right now. I can distract myself from it. I can try to escape from it, but the pain that's going on right now, I can't, I can't do anything about it. And this is profoundly humbling, which leads to a profound wisdom. And then verse 14, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. He's not saying comfort is wrong. He's saying when, if, you're, if you're having a good day, great. But in the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other so that no one can discover anything that will come after him. Pain and suffering are teachers, and they teach us that we can't control anything, because if we did, we would not be experiencing pain and suffering. And by sitting in the pain and sitting in the suffering, we are instructed, and we are humbled, and we grow in, in wisdom. And so if we are constantly, every time pain and suffering come knocking on our door, we run out the back door, we will be people that are prideful fools. So we can read this and we think, oh yeah, yeah, that's true. I believe it. But I would say none of us believe it. Because belief is more than just saying, oh, I understand what he's thinking. I understand the, the logic, the reasoning behind it. Belief is actually living it, embodying this. Just consider our, our nation. And we live in a country uh, full of escapists, escape artists. During COVID, alcohol sales increased by 54% that first uh, week that the pandemic hit in March, and 262% of online sales increased. So just it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful, um, tragic thought experiment. When life gets really hard, what do we do? Well, we run, as a nation, we run to alcohol for comfort. Another, another statistic, 61% of Americans experience undesired weight gain. The vast, the, the majority of us, our weight fluctuated. Why? Because food's comforting. And it's not bad to have comfort food, 
But the question that we're wrestling with here is if we constantly go to alcohol or if we constantly go to food, what type of nation will we grow into? A bunch of prideful fools. And this is true for our city. I mean, consider, what is Louisville known for? What are we famous for? Well, we were a foodie town. We like food. We got tons of ice cream options. I grew up there as Baskin-Robbins. That was it. There's like a million different types of uh, ice cream restaurants. We're known for bourbon. We're known for horse races. And we love sports. That's kind of Louisville in a nutshell. So you consider, what is our city known for? It's for things that are comfortable and are easily distract us. Not saying that that's bad, but if, if we go to these things, when pain and suffering come, what type of people will we grow into? And just think about it, I mean, think about it for yourself. If you got a text inviting you to a funeral or inviting you to a house party, which one would you prefer, right? Which one would you prefer? Would you rather have a news feed full of obituaries or a news feed full of gender reveals? Now, granted, some of you may choose the obituaries if you're sick of the gender reviews, reveals. Is the first day of vacation your favorite day or is the last day of vacation a better day? Is gazing over a crib more preferable or gazing over a coffin more preferable? See, I think the reason why we struggle to really embody what Solomon is saying here is that it it comes down to value. Because he's saying this is better, this is more valuable than that. Pain is more valuable than comfort. And I would say when it comes down to it, we value comfort and convenience more than wisdom and humility. We would rather be comfortable than be wise. And you're saying, hey, Josh, I get what you're saying, but I actually, I'm the type of person that does hard things. You're like, oh, I like confrontation. I like hard things. I do blah, blah, blah. You know you're this type of person if you record yourself and you sound like this all the time. Blah, blah, blah. We know these types of people, right? But, but more importantly, like we know we all have that tendency too. Like we go through difficult patches and people are like, oh man, praise God. You, you're, you're holding up so well. You're doing so well. How do you do it? And then very subtly in your heart, you start to think, yeah, I am holding up well. I am doing pretty well. And then the next thought after that is, well, why aren't they all doing well? I, I'm holding up. Why aren't they holding up? And what turns into an opportunity to give praise to Jesus for sustaining you turns into pride. And the, the just irony you have to laugh at is the whole purpose, remember, of suffering and pain is to produce humility and wisdom. But what it has done is it has made us prideful. So here's my, here's my main point. Solomon says the path to wisdom goes through suffering and pain, and we usually don't take that route. But even if we do, it produces the opposite of what it's supposed to produce in our lives. And again, we can agree with what he's saying here, but we don't really believe it. But I think this is what makes Jesus... Uh, so incredible. Because just consider, um, Jesus had this text. He, he read this passage. And he 
uh, turned it over in his mind and he thought about it. And whereas we think about it and we fail to act on it, Jesus thought about it and he actually did live like this. See, Jesus thought it was better to be born in a manger. Jesus thought it was better to to hang out with tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes, people with skin diseases, the social outcasts. He thought that was better. He thought it was better to be uh, misunderstood by his friends and family, to be betrayed, to have a crown of thorns shoved on his head, to be whipped in the back. He thought it was better to be hung up and nailed to a couple planks of wood. Why? Again, just like Solomon, it's a value thing. Brothers and sisters, I think Jesus did this because he valued you. He thought you were more valuable, brother, than being misunderstood. He thought you were more valuable, sister, than having the comforts of heaven. He thought you, it was more important for you to be in his family for the rest of eternity than to, for him to receive the rightful praise that was due his entire existence as a human. You are more important. And the crazy thing is that we are, um, compl- again, because we are completely powerless to do anything about Ecclesiastes 7. It's like, it's as if Solomon, um, there's a freight train and, and the train track is going on and he's saying, hey, wisdom and humility are that way. Just move down that way. And so you get in the freight train and you turn it on, but the ignition doesn't turn on. There's nothing there. And so you get back behind the train and you're pushing with all your might. You're trying to push it. The train does not move. This does not uh, nullify anything that Solomon says. The path to wisdom and humility is in that direction, but you just can't do anything. And Jesus is the one who actually can. He has walked this path. He has come back. He is the light, the flame that illuminates this path for us. But more than that, he is the forgiveness we need for when we are foolish and we are prideful. His death paid for that. And then his death is also the power. He takes the blood in his veins, he drains it into the fuel line, and he jumpstarts the train so that we can move down this track. See, brothers and sisters, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection does not um, nullify anything we read in Ecclesiastes 7. His life, death, and resurrection does not give a shortcut around what we read in Ecclesiastes 7. All it does is it affirms it. He says, yes. Jesus is saying, yes, the path of wisdom and humility is really difficult. And brothers and sisters, if, if God did not save us to be comfortable, he saved us to be like Christ. And if we are saved to be like Christ, then we should not be surprised when our life is marked by a life of suffering and pain. I think we, because we live in this nation of comfort, comfort is everywhere, pleasure is everywhere, this city, that this is the story, like comfort is, is this is our, what we're proud of. Again, not saying it's bad, but, but we should not be surprised if the call of comfort comes into these walls and into, into our heart. I think we are, we come to Jesus and we say, praise God, I no longer need to suffer under the, the judgment of my sin. Amen. But what happens is very subtly we leave off the back part and we say, praise, praise Jesus, I no longer have to suffer. 
The, the life of the Christian is a life marked by pain. And Solomon says that this is a path of wisdom. And Jesus says this is a path of faithfulness. Philippians 2, verse 29, for it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but what? But also to suffer for him. James 1, 2 through 4, consider it a joy. You can just hear Solomon's wisdom echoing down the, 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 uh, the passageway of scripture. Consider it is a joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature, complete, lacking in nothing. Matthew 5, we consider what, what is the life of a Christian? Is, it, is a faithful Christian somebody who is, is, um, has all the right answers or is the most confident about answers or is the loudest about the answers? Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Brothers and sisters, when we decide to follow Jesus, we should not be surprised that our life is difficult, but know that the gospel forgives us for when we fail to do that, and his presence through the gospel empowers us to do that. And if we try to do it on our own, we will still turn into hard-hearted fools to trust, so trust in Jesus. We can live the Christian life and we can um, live in a way that produces pain and suffering in wrong ways too, right? We can receive pain because we are stupid, right? Um, if you are taking multivitamins, it says once a day multivitamin, and you just said, I want to be super healthy, so I'm going to take 10 a day multivitamins, and you do this for like three months, you start peeing blood, you have this terrible pain in your side, uh, this is not a thorn in your flesh from the Lord. This is uh, a kidney stone. Um, if you, you can receive uh, pain and suffering um, also for sin, right? If you lie in your taxes, the IRS comes and takes all your stuff. Don't come in here quoting Jesus saying, foxes have their holes, birds have their nests, but the Son of Man has no place to rest his head. You are not faithful to Jesus. You are a liar and uh, deserve your stuff to be taken away from you, right? So clearly we can, there are wrong ways that we uh, experience pain and suffering, but there are, are right ways. It's the pain and suffering that comes from being faithful to Jesus. And so you are, you've been praying and you think the Lord is, is leading you to, towards adoption or foster care and you go through it and your life has gotten exponentially worse. No part of your life is easier. You decided, I think this is where Jesus is leading me. And so you, you go in that direction and you feel like your life is falling apart right now. You're so dedicated to this family that you feel like you're going to be dedicated to an insane asylum. Brother, sister, the world may call you a fool, but Solomon calls you wise and Jesus calls you faithful. 
You come in here and, and you have bouts of melancholy and, and darkness and depression. And this morning you woke up and you're like, going to church is going to be the hardest thing I do all week. But you're here. And you were right. Coming to church was the hardest thing you've done all week. You open up your Bible. You think it's, it's lifeless. It doesn't have anything for you, but you still do it. Solomon calls you wise. Jesus calls you faithful. Reach out to somebody for help. That's what faithfulness looks like. You're in a hard marriage, maybe because somebody was stupid or somebody was sinful, but you are dedicated to pursuing the other person in humility and forgiveness. The world says, escape. What are you doing? But Solomon says, you are wise, and Jesus says, you are faithful. You're single, and you're lonely, and it's hard, and you know what you can do to escape from this pain. But the following Jesus calls you to an ethic that is difficult, and you step into this, and Solomon calls you wise, and Jesus calls you faithful. You have a ton of kids, and you come to church, and it's like the hardest thing in the world. You would much rather just stay online and watch online, but you're here, and all your kids, your socks are mismatched, and you feel like a fool, but Solomon calls you wise, and Jesus calls you faithful. Brothers and sisters, when you experience trials, pain, and suffering because you're following Jesus, you are wise. It's producing wisdom in your life, and Jesus is honored. He says, you are faithful. And you say, hey, Josh, great, but my life is pretty normal, you know? Like, I don't suffer that much. I like Chick-fil-A, I drive a Nissan, I'm a pretty average guy. <laughs> um, if that's you, you are a pretty average guy. <laughs> and you're saying, does that mean I'm not wise? Does that mean I'm not faithful? Like, is the ranking of like Christians in the kingdom who suffers the most? No, no, no. But I, I do know that as we spend time with Jesus as we mull over his word, as we root our life in, in the grand story of scripture, we begin to just desire things that are different. We begin to value things that will produce suffering in our life, but we do them because it's honoring to Jesus and he uses them to make us wise people. I'll close with this just a, a reflection of what we are trying to do at Sojourn Midtown here. In some sense, we are very ordinary. We are pursuing this beautiful, difficult, multi-ethnic, multicultural vision as a church. And churches all across the world are doing this. And churches since Jesus rose from the grave have been doing this since Pentecost. So in a sense, like, we are very very normal. But I, as I was reflecting, when we commit to this church and we come here on Sunday and we participate in community, by trying to achieve this vision, everybody needs to sacrifice something 
so that we can achieve this vision of everybody feeling welcome in this family. And so if you've been here for a long time or if you're new, the guarantee at Sojourn Midtown is that you're guaranteed to not be fully comfortable anywhere. (laughs) Not a great sales pitch. (laughs) But I think when we press into this type of church that is hard and is uncomfortable, and we sing songs that, that don't give us the Jesus goosebumps, and we are in community with people who are so different than us, and we hear illustrations and sermons that, we, that just go over our head, and it's, it's not comfortable. But we do this because we value something greater, and that is that Je- the banner of Jesus is more important for us at Sojourn Midtown than the things that we find comfortable and preferable. And by walking this path, I believe Jesus is going to make us wise and make us humble by his grace, Lord willing. So let's be people who rely on the power of the gospel. When hard things come up, we don't run from them. We don't try to do them in our own strength, but we lean in to this type of kingdom living, and it will, by God's grace, produce us to be a people of wisdom and a people of humility. We take communion every sermon, every Sunday, and just reflect on this. This is a meal that we are reminding ourselves of profound suffering. We take this to remind ourselves that our Lord and Savior hung up on a cross, suffered, struggled to breathe, and his life expired, right? But we also take this, and this reminds us that he didn't stay up on the cross, did he? He did not stay in the tomb, and he rose again. And though we live lives marked by pain and suffering today, there will come a day when we have a meal like this in the new heavens and the new earth, and there will be the marriage supper of the Lamb, and we will delight with one another and reflect on how Jesus got us through the darkness of this life. And Jesus held this this bread up and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. And we do this to remember his sacrifice. We do this reminding us that this is the type of life we will, we will walk. And he said, this is my blood shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when we take this, we remind ourselves of the sacrifice Jesus paid to bring us into his family. And we remind ourselves that it is only by his blood that we're able to endure pain and suffering. We have started taking these little communion cup things since um, the pandemic. And so I'll ask you, if you are a believer, to take this wafer. And if you are not a believer, this is, this is a meal that reminds us of uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Soldier in Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit SojournChurch.com slash Midtown.